Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it, even in the offseason, it is called Victory Lane. Today's episode 82 did not have a guest on the show last week. Had to recap and put a bow on the 2020 season, which we did, swimmingly, I might add. But today we got Arkham Menard Series champion, Brett Holmes as the star of the show. We'll get there in a minute because we have no races to recap, no races to preview, none of that. But we're paying homage to a few people who have done the 82 in NASCAR over the years. Here's Papa Siegel with more. Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to this week's look back at number 82. 349 starts for the 82 and several worthy candidates to choose from. Fireball Roberts was the first driver to race the 82 in cup competition. That was in Darlington in 1953. On that day, 75 cars took the green flag for the inaugural Southern 500. Let me say that again. 75 cars! Roberts started 67th that day and charged all the way to a second place finish. Pretty good, right? Yeah, but consider that he still finished nine laps down to the winner, Johnny Manns. They were different times. Another 82-wheel man worth mentioning is Scott Speed. With a name like that, what else would he pursue as an occupation? Speed, no relation to Lake Speed, drove the 82 71 times in 2009 and 2010 for the Red Bull team. Remember those cool-looking silver and blue cars? Speed didn't achieve much success in NASCAR, but his talent is undeniable. How many other racers can you name who have driven in NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula One? I don't know, Mario Andretti? Speed is still getting it done, and he's won a handful of Rallycross championships. The man who drove the 82 the most, 138 times, was Joe Eubanks. No wins for Eubanks, but he tops the list of car 82 drivers for poles, top fives, and top tens. Perhaps more significant than his racing career, the Spartanburg, South Carolina driver served honorably in World War II, along with his NASCAR buddies Bud Moore and Cotton Owens. They were part of the greatest generation, and we remember and thank them for their service. And lastly, because I know Davey is suffering through withdrawal from the last couple of weeks, we give an honorable mention to Darren Leadfoot, the lime green shiny wax sponsored campaigner from the Cars movie franchise. Like so many others, he was involved in the huge crash at the Dynaco 400 caused by Chick Hicks, Kachiga, Kachiga, but suffered only minor damage and was able to continue. That's all for this week. Thanks as always to Mama Siegel for the Kachigas. 
Kachiga. I know you're looking forward to number 86, Duve. Kachiga. <laughs> Hope you like those Kachigas at the end from yours truly as well. Oh, I love men. I, I miss the Kachigas. I actually, um, if anybody has a hookup with Michael Keaton, because he was the voice of Chick Hicks for the Cars movies, my dad and I are trying to get him on for episode 86 so we can pay proper homage to Chick Hicks because you know what comes after lightning or before lightning? No, it's after. Thunder! Kachiga! That's right. Uh, but that was actually pretty cool. I associate 82 with Scott Speed because he was the guy that piloted that number when I started watching the sport or was watching the sport. But it's cool. I didn't know that there was a World War II veteran that actually piloted the car as well as a Southern 500 in way back when that had 75 cars that started. So thank you, Dad, as always, for that way back segment. And thank you, Mom, for the Kachigas. All right, before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show, which is our chat with Brett Holmes, we got to start this episode off, as always, just because it's the off season, don't mean that we're changing a thing. Give me a good old-fashioned... <laughs> All right, go right into interview time. As I mentioned, he's the reigning Arkham Art Series champion, Brett Holmes, with Brett Holmes Racing. Really interesting story that comes along with this driver from Alabama. Homegrown team, has not been at the top of the mountain for his entire career, has never been really in the best stuff, has had to persevere every step of the way, and he finally reached the top of the mountain this year getting that elusive championship in ARCA. And he ran the full year, obviously, but at the start of it, that wasn't really the plan. We'll talk about that as well as a bunch of other things that happened this season and throughout his career. Influences from his father, Shane Huffman, as his crew chief, racing at the Talladega Short Track with Hall of Famer Red Farmer growing up. Um, A bunch of different things go on in Brett Holmes' day-to-day life, especially him being a student at Auburn University. Got into some college football talk and also wanted to get his perspective on being a driver with a degree from school, partly because if racing doesn't work out, that's something to fall back on. But also, you don't see a lot of cup drivers with college degrees. The only one is Ryan Newman, and he has an engineering one from Purdue. So we'll talk about that, some college football talk as well. He's actually has an old Ford Bronco, so I wanted to make sure that that was not his everyday car. Spoiler alert, it's not. And he also gives us some teasers on his 2021 plans with Brett Holmes Racing, the potential to move into the truck series. Stay tuned, and he will let you know. Without further ado, here is Arkham Menard Series champion, Brett Holmes. It must feel pretty good to be called a champion in whatever sport you're competing in. And Brett Holmes, I know it's no different for you. 2020 Arca Menard Series champion, I would say hasn't sunk in yet, but I imagine, I mean, as we're recording this, it's been three-ish weeks since you took the checkered flag. I hope it's sunk in by now. Yeah, yeah, definitely it has, and, and thank you. It's um, it's uh, definitely a, a great feat to have, and, and we're uh, – all really proud. The whole team's, uh, you know, still coming off of it a little bit. And, uh, but we've started on working towards next year and, uh, you know, want to do more. So and I think we're, we're capable of doing that. Okay. Before we go any further, Brett, I got to give you a little crap because uh, as you've been on a couple zooms before and um, when you join the zoom, it always says Stacy Holmes. And I just figured like, all right, whatever you were on your mom's, your sister's account, whatever. And when you came on here, I said, you don't look like Stacy as a joke. And you actually told me that's your real name. And I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's my first name. Uh, Crazy. Brett's my middle name. 
Uh, so I've always gone by, always gone by Brett, but, uh, you know, anytime fountains of Wayne comes on, it's a pretty good time there. <laughs> yeah. I guess you're like the new Denny Hamlin cause he's James Dennis Hamlin. So you're Stacy Brett Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so literally nobody, I feel like nobody knows this information. Yeah. I mean, uh, not a lot of people do. I mean, cause every time I, anybody tries to, or to list my name or whatever, I always put Brett, uh, um, or when I fill out licenses, I put quotes by Brett just so it's yeah. like, you know, cause that's common to, to do that, to you, that's what you want to be mentioned as, you know, but has Stacy ever been written on like a trophy or a check when you win a race or is it always Brett? Uh, it's, uh, on checks before, but it, most of the time, like on, on trophies or anything public like that, it's just yeah. been Brett. So when yeah. your parents get mad at you, do they call you Stacy? Is that cross? No, the they don't. Yeah. No, I know that's a typical thing to do when parents get <laughs> mad, but no, they don't, they don't really ever go there. You know, some, some of my friends call me Stacy just to, just to pick at me, but yeah. that's about it. Not even when you get mad at your crew chief, if he's yelling at you, he doesn't cross that line either. No, no, they don't ever do that. It's a no, no. All right. Well, don't worry. You're Brett in my mind and you always will be. Um, (laughs) So I know you also said after you won the championship, Brett, that you were going to celebrate at the casino because you were at Kansas Speedway. Hollywood Casino is right across the street. So how'd you do? Did you make out well? No, I did not do well at all. (laughs) I think I had better odds or better chances just just drinking at the bar because the... uh, the uh i played craps and blackjack and uh about 30 minutes i burned through about 300 dollars, and that was about it for me so that'll do it that was the the sign to uh stop playing so that's what i did well i mean although it's a casino i guess you can be happy that the finale wasn't at vegas because there's more temptation and there's way more casinos to take all of your money in vegas with kansas you just got that one place yeah for sure and i'm uh i mean you know, I, I've been wanting to go to Vegas anyway, so hopefully that don't hopefully that don't happen if I ever get to get to run there. So yeah, well, we'll have to keep you in line if if you get out there. Where's your trophy at? Because I know the sheet metal right there is behind you, and it's been there for a while. But I feel like the trophy needs to be front and center. No, I, yeah, it's at uh, it's at home right now. I've okay. got to do um, a recording for the NASCAR banquet uh, next week sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they wanted that in the background. I'm sure I'm going to go home to do that recording and. Um, they're supposed to send, you know, some other stuff. So, yeah. um, I did have it here for uh, a week or two, but I took it home on Friday when I went home on Friday and, um, didn't bring it back with me. So, but I did have it here for a little bit. Yeah. But your, your roommates didn't try to break the trophy or bust your balls about no, that at all? No, they, they, there were a bunch of people want to see it, like, uh, my friends here, but, yeah. um, but yeah, that was, uh, nobody, nobody, you know, did anything crazy or anything like that. <laughs> well, that's so. good. So that sheet metal you got behind you, I know you've mentioned it before, that is from the unofficial or official longest slide in Daytona International Speedway history. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, just from everything I've seen, I think it is. So, What year yeah, was it just, at? Uh, uh, 2018, okay, uh, Daytona. Yeah. So, I, um, yeah, that wreck happened at the end of the race. We were running like third or fourth and uh, got hit from behind, and it's by far – one of the more scarier wrecks I've been in and yeah. just, um, you know, I thought it would be, uh, something cool to keep, you know, but it's also kind of like a bad reminder every day, but <laughs> <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the feeling of wrecking going that fast at a place like Daytona and then getting on your lid or on your side? What's that feeling like? It's, uh, it's very scary just because, uh, you're in a, uh, you're in a, 
I don't know how to put it. You're in a very like critical spot. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah, you're compromised. You know, obviously, right. You're compromised. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. So, you know, uh, the scariest part was when, when I was on my side and I slid, the car kind of turned and the roof, the cage, the cage and roof of the car was kind of facing the oncoming traffic. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you know, uh, the cars coming, there's still two or three cars lagging back that were, that were, uh, coming that way and I could hear them and that's what I was more worried about than anything than you know if they were coming straight on at me at the roof of my car going however however fast then you know I was really worried about my safety and my life there for a second but um, luckily luckily nobody did anything stupid yeah it sucks too because I mean in that situation spotter can't help you you can't do anything (laughs) because wheels don't do much when they're not on the pavement. So you literally are just kind of along for the ride at that point. That's, that's gotta be scary. Yeah, for sure. Just knowing you don't have any control and that's, uh, that, that, I mean, that's part of the risk we take, you know, so, um, as, as running these races, it's part of it. So is that the only time that you were on your lid in in a race car or was there another time? I've, uh, I've flipped one time in a dirt late model. Um, but other than that, it wasn't, you know, nowhere near is like, it, it wasn't, that wasn't even in the race that was in practice. So hmm. that, that wreck in the race was definitely the, the worst thing I've been a part of so far. And hopefully it stays that way. So that's interesting though, because I was talking with Taylor gray, one of your ARCA counterparts and, uh, he flipped in a late model at Martinsville and he also yeah. flipped in a uh, midget at Millbridge, I believe. And he said, comparing the two, flipping or getting on your lid in a stock car he said it was like a pillow compared to what it is in like a wing sprint car and i guess it's a little different in a dirt late model because it's not as much as of a confined space but i i would also imagine flipping at martinsville versus daytona those are two different animals i would say oh for sure i mean uh and you know some places you know it kind of just depends on the racetrack too like i got in a wreck and at uh springfield the dirt mile um back in 2017 yeah. And, you know, obviously they don't have safer barriers. It's just a concrete wall. So, yeah. um, I, uh, I mean, I hit the wall at, at a bad angle with my right front. Um, and I wasn't not, not like we were going that fast, but to me, that was personally the hardest hit I've taken just because, um, you know, just being a concrete wall, it didn't absorb any kind of, you know, uh, force there. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was, I, felt a little dizzy there for a little bit after that one. So it just, you know, it kind of depends on the racetrack and, yeah. you know, the, the safety measures they've got. And, um, and yeah, the, the car stuff for sure. The stock cars are by far, I think the safest things. Yeah. Um, you know, those, those sprint cars are definitely, definitely pretty sketchy. You know? Yeah. But, I've heard a couple drivers say that, you know, flipping's bad. Don't get me wrong, but I'd rather flip than blow right front going into the corner and just, go head on into the wall because either one you're in a compromised position but you have some time to like think about ah this is gonna hurt a lot when you blow right front your head straight for the wall yeah yeah and you can't i mean like i said there you can't really do anything about it you know and that's a that's a super hard hit compared to a flip so yeah you're just along for the ride at that point um let's get back to kansas for a second it was a really big place for you this year like who would have thought that just kansas would be Brett Holmes playground. You get your first win there earlier in the year. Then you come back and obviously, unfortunately you didn't get the victory, but I think you'll take a championship over that. I mean, Kansas seems to be your playground here. We should just set up some permanent residence there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it seems to be, you know, people seem to think that, but I mean, in all honesty, like we've ran really well at all the speedways. I mean, 
Daytona, the beginning of this year, we led a lot of laps, um, really were a first, second place car and, and just got caught up on the outside and, and didn't have any help, fell back to ninth. Talladega finished third, Michigan uh, should have won that race, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Uh, can't, I mean, obviously, in the two races at Kansas, were really good. Kentucky, we finished second. You know, I, I think just we really showed that we were the best car, most consistent car through all the speedway races. And that's, you know, I, I know Kansas seemed to see, you know, it seemed to look that way there because we got our first one there. And then last race, you know, capping off the season mm-hmm. with a championship. And um, I was, I was definitely frustrated after that. I mean, I feel like all the speedway races, I was frustrated. You were good everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just knowing we had a car to win though, and just um, either handling wise things didn't play out or like Michigan, I made a mistake or the other races, we didn't have any, any uh, control over what happened. So um, I, I think uh, we'll definitely be back at some of those races next year to get, try to get some redemption. Racing Michael for the title in the last few races down the stretch. I think it was at one point he was up by one or two points and then you took the lead. Um, I think Springfield was one of the turning points that I can remember, at least off the top of my head. Um, but I mean, he, he's a veteran of the series. He's been around this game a long time. And I know that he's a really mature guy and, and, and you guys have a mutual respect and appreciation for each other which is cool to see play out on the racetrack as well. Just curious, the conversations that you may have had with him down the stretch and racing a competitor like him for the championship must have been interesting. Yeah, for sure. And and, and just uh, racing this many years against each other in the same series. And, you know, uh, obviously, like the first couple of years we raced against each other, he was in a whole lot better stuff than I was in and right. until we got to the team appointments at now. And so we didn't get to race with each other as much then. There were definitely two or three times we did. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, this year obviously was the hardest and um, it, it was a lot of back and forth. And we were down like a lot of people don't realize like how many points we were down after the first two or three races of the season and to, to them and, and how much we how long it took to slowly get get all that back. I was one but, of the people uh, that was already giving him the title. I'll, I'll admit it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and I mean, it's that's OK. I mean, it's what a lot of people you know like to think, too, but. Um, that's what we were there to do is prove that, you know, we, um, we were just as good as anybody else or, or if not better, but, uh, you know, I, I think definitely that, that stretch there where it was like Bristol, Winchester, Memphis, Springfield, that was definitely the, the hairiest stretch because we knew, you know, this was like the turning point, what was going to set the stage up for Kansas. And, um, you know, I hate the way that Springfield played out. I don't, you know, I, I don't really know what happened there at the end. I think the 24 was just, he kind of brake checked me and um, when I was right behind him, he didn't get a good um, entry into the corner and it kind of screwed all of us up. And Michael kind of got in the back of me because from what the 24 did and um, I just hate that played out like it did. But I think, you know, from the results at Kansas kind of showed what was going to happen anyways. But um, Michael's a great driver and he's, you know, obviously better, a lot better in some areas that I really struggle at. And, um, I know he's capable of winning intermediate races and, and road course races and short track races. And, um, I'm, I'm capable of winning intermediates and short tracks, but I'm nowhere near capable of winning road course races yet. <laughs> so he's definitely, as far as variety goes, he's, you know, got it all. And I, I think, um, had he been a little bit better equipment this year, like he could have done just as good as me. And, and that's just the truth. So. Um, I think we were just a little bit faster in that department and, and our cars are a little bit ahead compared yeah. to them. And I think part of that's just being a single car team, you know, not having to worry about four damn cars Absolutely. every weekend and, 
and uh, juggling all that, you know, all the outside stuff like that um, with other drivers and, and all that other stuff. So, um, you know, I think, you know, we just had one priority and, and one goal. So uh, compared to the other teams, so that, that I think that was the difference. Yeah. And I don't think I was alone in those people earlier on in the year that just assumed like, Oh, Michael's a veteran. He's in a Venerini car. They got a lot of resources behind them. You know, th- th- this should be a wrap. But as the season went on, as you said, like you guys asserted your dominance specifically, you know, you were neck and neck with the 25, but at, at a few races, you guys clearly had more speed than them. I'm yeah. curious, you know, your confidence in, in your own team never wavered, but at some points, were you a little surprised with how much faster you were than the 25 and Venturini in general? Because, you know, they've been around the block a time or two, as you know, and going into any year, they're obviously going to be contenders and favorites to win the title. But you guys seem to have a stranglehold on raw speed over them for pretty much the whole year. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, and that's what I said throughout the season, even we were when we were showing that we were doing better was, you know, you can't count them out. And it's not like we were letting up any because, you know, they're a good team and they've, you know, Michael's a good driver and Kevin's a good crew chief right. and um, are very tough to compete against. And, um, you know, coming off of last year, you know, and they won, you know, all those races and, um, you know, they, uh, they took a little horsepower away from us this season with the Ilmore motors mm-hmm. and, and even at the bigger track. So I think, um, so that made the cars a little bit more air dependent. And I think that's where we, we were better at. I think Shane has just got a really good um, package for those races. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't have an answer for where, you know, why, what all happened with them. But I, I think, you know, uh, part of that and the Speedway stuff was part of that. But the short track stuff, you know, I don't know. And, um, but uh, like, like I said, it's, we, we got to a point there where, um, we, after the break, we realized we were faster than them speed wise. And, um, I was doing a lot better and, uh, personally and, and mentally. And I think, um, you know, that, that's been a big difference to me too, is coming to the racetrack knowing I've got a shot to win. And, uh, before I was coming and didn't think I had any shot to win. And right. it's a very tough thing to accept, but, um, you know, I think having another year with, with Shane and, and those guys was, was, uh, the biggest, biggest turnaround and the most helpful thing. I want to ask about Shane in a minute, but um, it's kind of a cliche question, but it, it's honestly like a, it's a big part of race car drivers DNA, like the race within the race in the cup series. You hear about it all the time. You know, there's only a handful of cars that realistically can win a race every single week. So for a race car driver like you, who's been around this all of his life and done this all of his life, those years and those specific weekends, when you showed up to the racetrack knowing that, you know, you weren't going to be a real contender to win the race and you guys had your own goals set, whether it be, you know, get a top five this week and get a top 10, complete all the laps, whatever it may be. How did you survive those dark times to then come through and then be where you are now as a champion? It's again, it's, it's a bit of a cliche question, but you're one of the few people that have actually lived that and gotten to the top of the mountain. Yeah, no, it's a legitimate question. It's not cliche. I mean, I think, um, you know, a big part of it, two, two big things was, was part of it. And that was, um, you know, my dad kind of reminded me that, you know, it takes baby steps. You can't just, you know, he, he set the same goals for himself when he started out dirt racing, you know, we'll start getting in the top tens and keep consistently being in the top 10. And eventually, 
you know, when you're comfortable there, you know, move up say, I want to, you know, want to try to finish top five and do whatever it takes to finish top five every week. And so setting little goals like yourself for that and, and racing is a, a completely different sport. You know, you don't, you're not going out there with a 50, 50 shot to win like every other exactly. sport. So um, it's, you know, you're against 30, 40 other drivers and uh, it's, it's a working process and, and it takes years to, to get a hold of. And, um, and I think the other part of it was just, um, you know, I, I did lose a lot of confidence and, you know, was definitely struggled there for a while mentally. Like um, the last time I was in victory lane was in a late model race in 2016. We won the um, wow. five flag speedway, uh, won the championship there. And it's almost four years. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it was a really long time, the longest stretch I've ever had without winning a race. So that was definitely tough to accept. So you start kind of questioning your abilities, questioning if you're good enough and you kind of let those thoughts, you know, creep into your head a little bit. And it's, um, it's, it's hard not to do that, you know, because you're, you're putting so much into this and, um, you know, like we support ourselves. So it's hard, like, you know, you think you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm sacrificing so much time away from like, from college and socially with friends and, and family and getting to hang out with those people and, uh, just financially, you know, sacrificing a lot to race, to, to do what we're doing at this level. So you're like, you know, I mean, you start thinking about those things and, um, you know, I, I think you just, you just got to keep pushing. I, I don't know how, to, how else to explain it. Yeah. Just, uh, not giving up on, um, believing in yourself and believing that you can win and, uh, that you're capable of doing it. So I, I definitely don't think that's a cliche question at all. I think that was one of the biggest differences in us yeah. winning and losing. So it all winds up being worth it when you get to the top of the mountain, as you said. So it's, uh, yeah. those dark well, days I mean, make I, it better. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we're at the top of the mountain yet. Like I, you know, we're, True, we're going to yeah. keep running with our team and, um, I think we've got more to accomplish, not just in the ARCA series. So I, I, uh, really looking forward to what we've got to come as far as our team goes. And, I think uh, all of the guys and, and me can can really accomplish more and show that, you know, we don't have to be like in the click, click clicky groups like everybody else or everybody yeah, thinks that they have yeah. to be in some damn some affiliated with some NASCAR team or or something. Everybody thinks they can't do it on their own. And um, I think we want to prove that wrong. That's good. Shoot for the stars, man. I got no doubt you guys will uh, be able to accomplish that. So you mentioned Shane, your crew chief. And also your dad. I want to touch on both of them. Let's talk about your dad first. He's been such an integral part of this title run and your career in general, obviously. So to bring that title to your guys as a family, your team, and, and to him specifically, I'm sure had to make it all that more worth it. And I know you got a little emotional when you officially clinched the title and had that trophy in your hands. I'm sure part of that was due to your dad being by your side. Yeah, for sure. And I, um, you know, we're we, I, I count on one hand how many races he's missed in my career. So, um, over what, you know, probably, uh, I don't know, 15, 16 years Gotta or so. Be, yeah. So that's, uh, that's huge. And that's, uh, this is our vacation. You know, this is what we do together outside of work or school. And, and, and that's what we work for. That's this literally like, you know, all we, um, think about outside of what we're doing uh as far as our careers go at home so um yeah it was uh it, it was really special and and just to uh just to think it started you know he, he it started with him actually going with uh you know we live not too far from the super speedway and that's where he yep. grew up too so 
Um, it started when one of the Allisons were actually testing at the super speedway and him and a buddy drove over to the racetrack and, um, and then filled and what, you know, watched and like met them and stuff. And, you know, he just kind of told himself that, um, that he was going to do this someday. So it was, uh, it was really cool to, to think it started from that, you know, it, it, yeah. it's really cool. To well, I knew that you guys had spent some time at the, at the Talladega short track and everything. And we'll, I'm going to get there, but I didn't know that that was how, your dad kind of got the bug, so to speak. It was because the Allisons were doing a test and he just kind of checked it out and had the chance to talk with them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I mean, he's told me that a bunch and I, I guess I really haven't said that a lot, but, um, we're actually doing an event at Talladega in a couple of weeks, like a watch party at the super speedway for the banquet. So, um, that was, def- that's definitely something I'm going to mention there and to all those people. So, um, that's, yeah, that's really where it started at though. That's really cool. We'll, we'll get there in a minute, but I want to mention Shane Huffman, your crew chief. He's been around a while too. And to bring a championship to him, I think that was something that he had yet to achieve in his NASCAR career, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm sure it had to mean a lot to you to bring that to him, but also he had to be pretty on cloud nine too. I'm sure that he probably celebrated at the casino just as hard. Well, he actually, uh, he actually had to leave, leave right after the race and go, his, uh, his son was go-kart racing oh. that weekend. So he was trying to get home and it was one of the Maxis national races. So you guys will celebrate home. when you go to Vegas together. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at, at time, but, uh, I'm sure we will, but, but yeah, I mean, I think, but like him too, I mean, I think he's been capable of doing that for a long time, you know, just hasn't really had all the, the opportunity to do it. And, um, we put a lot of trust in him and, and Ryan, our, our GM up there, to to run the team and you know to uh, to be successful with it. We and that's what it relies a lot on is trust. So because we're my dad and I aren't, aren't up there a lot, you know we're working here. So um, from Alabama, so it's very tough. And um, but uh, like I said, he's been capable of doing that for a long time. He's been you know uh, and he's and not just as a crew chief, but as a driver too, you know, he used to race in the, um, now the Xfinity series for, uh, for junior, but, yeah. um, it, uh, you know, it, it was definitely really special to him too. And it, um, you know, we talked on Monday after the race and he was like, he, he was like saying it kind of hadn't sunk in yet to really think that, um, that was, you know, one of his first championships like that too. So, um, you know, I, uh, I think me and him can really accomplish a lot together. You repeatedly have said in interviews, TV, Zooms, all that stuff, that it's all about the people. And, you know, your dad, Shane, your family supporting you, the team, like, I think you make it more of a point to say that. And a lot of drivers do say it, but it's kind of a cliche thing where it's like, yeah, team gave me a great car. You know, they worked really hard at the shop. But since your team is so small and it's so familial and it's so tight knit, I think when you say it, it, it has a little bit more meaning than, you know, a paid driver coming in and just saying, yeah, team builds a great yeah. car this, this weekend. Can you expand yeah. on that for me a little bit and, and just tell me, you know, what it is about the people that got you here, the people that you have around you and why this group seems to just mesh so well? Yeah, for sure. And uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think um, the biggest difference is, you know, if a driver's not running well with the team, they're going to switch teams. Like, it's just that, you know, it's a, it's a really cutthroat business. And mm-hmm. I've learned that the past three or four years um, with this ARCA team and, and dealing with a lot of people and, and stuff. It's, uh, you know, most everybody's out for themselves. And 
um, if, you know, if they're not happy, they're just going to take the easy way out and change or um, it's not, you know, that, and, and, and that was something really cool that before the Kansas race in the tech tech line, Mike Helton was in the tech line, like, and he came over and talked to us and it was crazy. I didn't, you know, wow. it was just kind of a big shock, but, um, but he would, you know, he said himself, like, he was just like, you know, nobody has done it. Like y'all have done it a long time. Like people don't do this anymore. And, um, that's how they used to do it in the old days. So that's awesome. Uh, basically, yeah. Basically all but said he was rooting for us because of that. And, um, <laughs> He was also from the area from Taldega when he mm-hmm. ran there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it for sure carries a whole lot more weight just because we built this, you know, we, and, and we treat our guys very well and not just, it's not just, um, it's not just a job. It's not, you know, when you look, start looking at it like that, it's, you know, nowhere near as fun. And um, I think you definitely, no, don't care nowhere near as much as you would if, if it's, uh, if it has that personal relationship behind it. So, um, and I think that's why a lot of people like short track racing more and like late model racing more is because it has that, you know, it, uh, it's more, you know, kind of, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's just has like a lifestyle. Right. Right. It's more, it has that more environment to it, more that environment to it. Mm And, um, you know, uh, like I said, I think, um, that, that's more that's just as important as anything is not not having that good communication at the racetrack or working together but also having a good relationship outside of it i'm curious about this mike helton conversation so when you saw him like come up to you guys in the tech line were you like crapping your pants you're like oh god what did i do like what's going through your head when you see no not like what did i do but i was like but yeah in my head inside i was like what the, like what is going on like why is he <laughs> Why is Mike Helton over here at the technical inspection line at an ARCA race? Like, right. what the heck? <laughs> I mean, it was really just random. And uh, like I said, I think, you know, he saw that. You know, he saw that, um, you know, we're a couple guys from Munford, Alabama, right next to Taldeck. He knows where Munford is. He know, knows it's a little, you know, nothing like a little town of hardly anything. And um, so I think that kind of shocked him a little bit. But, um, being from the same area, well, like he was from the same, lived in the same area when he ran Saldega for a while. So knowing that, and then like I, like I just said, you know, him um, just uh, like not, knowing that that's not how people typically do it anymore and just not starting their own team and, and building it from the ground up. So I think, you know, he kind of all but said he was rooting for us when he, when he mentioned all that. That's a really cool story. Cause I mean, you know, you think a top NASCAR brass and you know, they're paid to say some of the things that they say and, you know, they have to say certain things, but it's cool to see that like a guy like Mike Helton would actually not just pay attention to what's going on in ARCA, but you know, know enough, care enough and see what's going on behind the scenes enough to say something like that. That that's really cool. Um, yeah, that's awesome. What, what did your dad say when, when that happened? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't really talk to him about it after. I mean, I just told him after like, how cool that was for yeah. me. And, um, I mean, he agreed obviously, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, and I think Shane and, and a couple other people that were sitting around there said kind of the same thing as old you is just, you yeah. know, there's, there's people noticing that there's people noticing us and the more, the more we do and the better we do, I think, um, that's going to come to light more. Super validating had to feel really validating. Um, so you mentioned how your team, is so small and it's going up against these behemoth organizations, GMS, 
Joe Gibbs Racing, Venerini, the list goes on. So let, let's get some of these facts and figures out there if you feel so inclined to disclose them. How many employees do you guys have? How big is the shop? How many cars do you guys have? Like, what are we really working with here when we're going up against these behemoth teams? Yeah, so, I mean, we've got um, five guys, full-time guys at the shop. And um, so, and, and car-wise, we had, you know, I think we've got about six or seven. Uh, we actually just sold a couple. Um, but we really, through the season, we didn't wreck any. We didn't ever tear up any car real bad other than body. We ran three cars through the whole season. Wow. Um, the Super Speedway car, our, well, four. We ran one, one race, and then started running a car we updated the entire rest of the season pretty much uh one intermediate car and one short track car so we really only ran three cars for the season and that made it a little tough on the guys like through the week you know just not having another um not having another car that was just ready to go you know or, or set up through the week it was just kind of um the the other one we had to tear all the way down clean all the way up and, and maintenance and then set it up again reset it up again so um i mean you know, I say that like it, that does sound small, but like most of these ARCA teams, like they, that's about how many guys they have yeah, right. on one car for a team. It's probably three or four. And, um, but the entirety of the team as a whole is a lot different, you know, mm -hmm. and, and having more, um, teammates, having more cars and people and minds working with each other is definitely helpful than not. So, um, that uh, when I say that, I think that's where what I'm kind of saying in between the lines and that's where the yep. biggest difference is. Okay, cool. Just want to get that out of the way. Cause you know, sometimes teams are saying we're small compared to these big teams and you know, they still have a hundred employees, but that's kind of on the cup level. So it's, I just yeah. want to get those facts out there. I also think Brett, you know, what, what made your championship so, so improbable. And I guess you could say stunning at a certain point to some people is because you guys legitimately were not planning on running the full season. Like when I was doing research for the interview, I went back and I, I looked at the press release that I reposted on the NASCAR website. And the original release said that you guys were planning on running 14 races and that yeah. was going to be it. And then you guys wound up running the full year, winning the title. So like what, what were the conversations like during the year when you said, you know, all right, I think we could maybe go for this thing full time. And I think we can maybe get this title. Like when did the mindset change from part-time 14 race schedule to let's go after this thing? Well, the biggest thing was, uh, the pandemic, like when it, it shut down a bunch of race shops, it shut down a lot of ch chassis manufacturers. Like we had aspirations to go truck racing this past season or this, this season. And, um, and just to do a handful of races, but you know, we couldn't even get a truck built at that time because, either they were so backed up or they were shut down for two or three months. So um, when the season started back and everybody started back racing again, it was like, you know, completely gung ho. Everybody was so backed up uh, with a backlog and as far as work goes and, and busy and um, you know, it, it just made it about impossible to do that. So really um I mean, we could have ran part-time. I mean, still could have ran just part-time, but we wouldn't be able to do anything else. And we noticed how good we were running when we came back. And after we updated our short track car, um, that was like, um, you know, that really showed showed to us we could run top three, top five consistently every weekend. And that's what it takes to win a championship. And mm -hmm. um, 
and also to the speedway stuff we really hit you know hit on some some stuff on our setup so i think um really both of those things is what led to us you know it, it was kind of an easy decision to be honest and um you know after last like i'd ran legitimately two full seasons of arca back in 2017 and 2019 um for the championship 2018 i ran about half the season and we stopped stopped running the team and uh 2016 was um we only ran like five or six races with grant so um you know so i didn't want it like you know to run three full seasons of arca and not you know come out with uh, anything better than a championship right. would, would have been you know kind of devastating but we knew we were capable of doing it and i think uh you know, have we made some better decisions earlier in the season and planned to run full time? I think we could have won by a little bit more in the championship and had a little bit more of a cushion um, because, you know, there were definitely a couple of decisions made like at Phoenix, like we pulled off the racetrack, like we didn't even finish the race because we got penalized on a restart violation and with like five or six laps left in the race. And I probably left, I, I mean, I probably left six to eight points out there on track like and said but we were just so mad and didn't want to risk tearing up a car so we pulled mm. in so like just like that and, and a decision at daytona we made so you know there were a couple things we could have done differently and um just like i said just not knowing to begin with that we were going to do it is, is why speaking of changes for this year why'd you opt to go from the red and the white car to the blue and the white for this year I don't know. We've always kind of like switched up our paint scheme almost every year for some reason. Uh, I think I'm going to stick to this white scheme for a long time because I really like it. <laughs> well, um, I felt the red had a little bit too much going on, but uh, we actually got that scheme from a sponsor that sponsored us in the Chicago race last year. And I really liked the car. I really liked the, des uh, the design of it. So uh, I kind of wanted to keep it and that's what happened. So I think we'll keep our Arca car looking like that for, um, for next year as well, you know, depending on what, what happens or if I'm getting yeah. to run any or whatever we do. Good stuff. Got, got to know the paint scheme details. It's the, it's the hard hitting stuff here. So yeah. let's, let's talk a little bit about Talladega. Uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, but you grew up in Munford really close to the super speedway. And, um, I, I mean, I learned recently, I'm talking like within the last like couple years, ashamed to say, I didn't even know that the Talladega short track was a thing. But I learned about it, and I learned that you ran there a good amount. Um, what was that like? And more importantly, what was it like? Because I know you did race against him, racing a NASCAR Hall of Famer and Red Farmer. That must have been really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my like I said, that's where my dad really grew up racing at. Like, he started racing. He didn't start racing dirt late models until about his mid-20s. Um, so he started racing there, and then, you know, I came into the picture – and just grew up going to the racetrack watching him and, and mainly at Talladega. Um, and, uh, you know, there's like old news articles of me, like there's a picture of me, like uh, in an old news article, like uh, playing with uh, little toy cars on like one of my dad's tires. That's cool. Um, when I was a little kid. So, um, you know, I grew up going there almost every weekend when he, when he raced there. And then um, I started racing about eight years old and I ran – the short track also has a go-kart track where they run dirt go-karts at. And I ran there for about four years and um, before I moved into dirt late models. And I did that for about uh, two and a half to three years. So um, mainly racing there, traveled a little bit with the Southern All-Star Series. Um, I broke the track record at one point there and, and won a, a crate late model championship. So, um, 
yeah, and then obviously racing against Red Farmer in the crate crate division was really cool, and because uh, he actually, you know, he used to stay with us at our house on big race weekends, um, just so he wouldn't have to get a hotel and and drive so far because he was going to the the super speedway right. and the full track as well. Yeah. So wow. he used to stay with us too, and um, so it was really cool to so you know he's not just um, to me he's not just an NASCAR Hall of Famer; he's a friend. So. Um, and, you know, I mean, he called me after the ARCA championship and um, told me how proud he was. I mean, um, so I know it's important to him, too, and, and uh, that we do well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's that, that's what's made it so special is just my dad racing there and growing up as a kid watching and, and racing there myself and um, having success, a lot of success there. And, and that's what's um, made it really special for us, not to, not to just even be successful in ARCA, but is really cool. Did you give your dad a bunch of crap when you broke his record there in 2013? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, in <laughs> dirt racing, like when, you know, he'd always kind of tell me what I need to be doing differently or something. I would, I'd bring that up to kind of make it seem like I knew what I was doing more than he knew. So, um, you know, I had a little bit of upper hand on that side of things. That's good. Um, you, you mentioned the karting side of things, and, and obviously we've talked about dirt. So let's go back for a second. I know you, you grew up winning a ton in go-karts, multiple divisions, and then you wound up switching between dirt and asphalt racing a good amount. I know you spent some time with Lee Falk, um, won a pro late model title at Five Flag Speedway down in Pensacola. Do you think that looking back on it, uh, maybe not at the time you weren't thinking this way because you were probably go, go, go. But do you think it helped you being able to race across multiple divisions on a bunch of different surfaces and track types? You think that kind of helped you hone your craft as a driver when you were growing up? To me, like starting out in dirt racing was uh, more important than anything. Like just learning car control and how to save like, you know, counter steering, how to save a car and stuff. Like it definitely wasn't the best thing to like, for feel as far as asphalt uh, surface racing goes like in racing those cars it um made it difficult for me to uh, for a year or two there to to get to the point where i needed to you know know what the car needed and um what kind of end of the car needed work on and um but yeah i think uh i think running for you know those those different asphalt late model divisions and um things like that really helped too because uh, like running late model stocks they're you know they're big spring cars similar to arca cars just not as big uh and then ran straight rail late models at one championship at montgomery motor speedway and then five flag speedway the next year so doing that you know i think um really helped and i think coming into arca like i was fully prepared to run arca like i you know the first uh that first year in, in 2016 i was um i mean i had a couple couple good shots at winning races and um, and really it was just because of pit strategy at those times that why it didn't play out. So, um, you know, I, I think everything we did was the right, the right way to do it to, to get prepared for it. So Brett, you're obviously a student at Auburn war Eagle, not roll tied in this, on this interview. Um, I will say though, I, so I went to Michigan state, I'm a big 10 guy, but yeah, uh, one of my best friends went to Bama. So I visited him for a weekend, took me to Bryant Denny, we tailgated SEC style the whole nine yards, um, and uh, I have to say, I mean, <laughs> Alabama was it was a pretty good time. I've not been to Auburn. Um, I, I got nothing against Auburn. I I like Auburn, um, but what was the decision making process like 
between going to Auburn and Bama, or was there not even a decision? Was it War Eagle all the way? Um, there was a little bit of a decision because, uh, you know, I almost didn't get into Auburn. I didn't almost didn't get accepted into Auburn. So, um, because, you know, they have a little bit higher standard than Alabama people do. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and Auburn had the major I wanted to be in building science, which is construction management yep. and Alabama didn't have that. But I think, uh, growing up as a kid, I've always been an Auburn fan really. I mean, um, my parents didn't go to college, but my two aunts went to, Auburn and one went to Alabama and mm-hmm. just uh, I went to football games at both and one just really felt like home more to me than the other and um but yeah I think you know Tuscaloosa is a good time and I think part of that is because there's a lot of rowdy out-of-state got people that go there oh, yeah. and only go there because of the football program and uh, you know what I mean that's how hey, my get, best that's that was like the main reason he went there so yeah yeah that's definitely a lot of the reason why people go there but um, I think Auburn's a little bit more laid back and um, definitely like the people here. And I've made a lot of really good friends here that I'll be friends with for a long time. So um, it was 100% the right choice for me. Do you still have that really dope looking um, race helmet with the visor in it that kind of looks like a football helmet? Do you still have that? Yeah. Yeah, I have that. It's uh, it's back home. It actually, um, I can't wear it anymore for a race. So um, because it's uh, two or three years out of um, the safety oh, inspection thing. Yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a really cool looking helmet. I'm definitely I've already got it cleaned up, and it's definitely going into into a a, a case or oh, some yeah. sort of display when they wear it. When it, whenever I build a house <laughs> and have a little area like that, that's what's going. That's where it's going. I have to imagine you probably have like a ton more cool Auburn University slash racing collab swag. Like you got to have some cool merch. Not really. I mean, I uh, we don't really have any uh, merchandise or anything like that yet. And it's definitely something after I graduate, I got to get going. Um, yeah. I've got a hat signed by Bo Jackson. Um, that's, that's dope. A really cool thing I've got. Um, I've got a lot of books and stuff like that, and um, some of their art. But other than that, I don't, you know, I don't have okay. too much really. So, um, really important question: Where were you for the kick six? I was there. Uh, my dad and I. Were oh there. man! Yeah, I still have the ticket. Um, we. Uh, I mean, this was before I went there, obviously. Um, you know, a few years I went before I went there, but, um, you know, we stayed the whole game and it was like, you know, we thought it was pretty much over with. And, um, but yeah, that was definitely a, I wish I was in the student. I wish I was a student for oh, that. Man, you know I, I mean? can't that even imagine completely wild, but, um, I, uh, you know, my, my dad and I were sitting together, um, had some ticket from some tickets he got from, um, uh, some people he's involved with and, um, but it was, uh, it was really cool to be there for that. I just, I just always can't get out of my head. The the call that they had, Oh, birds go to win the football game. It was just yeah. the, the craziest moment in college football. Actually, I take that back. Second craziest because I'm biased here, but when Michigan state beat Michigan in the big house, I don't know if you remember this, but it was when Michigan's punter, Blake O'Neill fumbled the snap and then MSU recovered it and returned it as time expired. I think our winning percentage was .001, and we won on the road rivalry game. That was huge. But biasly, that's my number one craziest college football moment. Kick six is one B if that's one A. So I'll give that to you. Oh man, a punt, a punt fumble off of a field goal return. From Dude, the, I it from was it was so electric. It was electric. Yards return. Like I come know, on now, like I know. And, and the, 
and, and Michigan and Michigan State definitely is probably, I mean, up there with Auburn Alabama rivalry. So I understand where you're coming from, but I don't know. The, the kick six is kick six is, is super hard to beat. That's probably this, but I think, but you know, both those things are going to come down as, you know, one of the, the, the uh, biggest moments in college football history. So. So also I'm kind of curious, Brett, because not a lot of race car drivers um, opt to get degrees from universities. I think the only full-time cup driver who has one is Ryan Newman. He has a degree in engineering. So was, I mean, was there even a, a decision-making process? Like, am I going to go to college or am I not? Were you always set on doing that? Because race car drivers, for the most part, seem to forego doing that and just focus on their racing careers. No, I mean, I, um, I think I've always kind of had that notion that I was going to go, uh, to college. And, um, I think the time period I was, uh, was within my racing career. Like, you know, there was no reason for me not to, cause I was still running asphalt eight models and it was kind of like, you know, this isn't too, you know, taking too much time away from, um, from school. So like, you know, I felt like I could easily do both. And, and when we started running ARCA early on, it was, it definitely got really tough. And this semester has been the toughest of them all because, um, the condensed schedule and, and just being in my last semester, the hardest semester with my thesis. So um, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, that, that was a weird thing to think about as far as like knowing that a lot of, you know, great drivers like that, like haven't, you know, really gone to college yeah. or, or done that as well. But I don't know. It's just something I've, I feel like I would have regretted doing if I didn't ever do it. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I think back to, when I was like, uh, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, and my dream was still to be a professional race car driver. And I was like, well, I'd have to move, probably skip college, have all this financial and emotional support. And eh, I don't know if I have all that or want to do all that. Um, but I always, I always like when I am able to like glean some information from drivers that are either in college or went to college to see their perspective on that type of thing. Because being around the same age, I definitely understand that, that thought process. So that's cool. Holmes excavating. Um, I read in an article, I think it was on auburn.com that that is something you would like to fall back on if the racing thing does not work out. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I mean, I, um, you know, obviously with, after I graduate, I think that's what I'm going to do right now. Um, and to be honest with you, it, it kind of is relying on not having a sponsor and, uh, you know, if I don't have a sponsor, then, you know, we're, it's up to us to, to fund it and do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like, you know, even through some of the truck series stuff, like that's where a lot of my time is going to be is working through the construction company and, and, uh, to be able to provide, to do this and, um, you know, for right now, but I, if I had a full-time sponsor, I would definitely be like a hundred percent, like for focusing sure. on that. Because, um, you know, I, I feel like, that, that would be at the time a lot more important for me to focus on and um, do the best I can. But, um, you know, you got to do what you got to do when you don't have anybody else paying the bills. Absolutely. So, um, that's, that's what I got to do. So you speaking of sponsors, um, I want to go back to Kansas for one more second and talk about Golden Eagle Syrup because they hopped on board to sponsor your car. Honestly, good for them and good for you because – at the right time there you were going to get a lot of tv time celebrating doing burnouts is on your car it was great but um i'm curious how the partnership came about and then i have a very hard-hitting question after that but tell me how that partnership came about in the first place yeah i think uh well so pretty cool deal i mean um 
I actually go to, I'm in the same cohort with um, Temple Bowling, which is um, the son of the guy who owns the company. And that's how we met. I mean, I, I met him through that. And, um, you know, we, uh, he, they camp out for Talladega every year. They carry their camper in the infield. And uh, so I've been there a couple times to hang out with them. And um, they love racing and they're, uh, you know, they own, own that, that syrup company. It's been around since like the twenties, I think. Wow. And they've, um, you know, it, it's, it definitely hits home for a lot of people because a lot of people like grew up with that syrup on the table. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they, uh, they've kept it going. And like I said, love racing. They're, they're a small company. They're just based out out. They have that one location in Alabama where they distribute from and, um, and, uh, we're, you know, our friends, we're not just partners. So, it, it was a really cool deal for a small Alabama company like that for them to um, support me and believe in me in the last race of the season and, and knew, you know, they knew that we were capable of, of winning all along and they've been keeping up with us a lot and, and wanted to help us out more than um, more than one way. So it's uh, it, it was definitely a really cool deal. You got to put the syrup on something. So are you a pancakes, waffles or French toast guy? Uh, I mean, preferably waffles because okay. I don't see why anybody would like pancakes because waffles have little squares to yes, hold. Yes, thank the syrup. you. I just don't. It's just like an easy, easy decision, really. Are you a Waffle House guy? Because I love Waffle House. Yeah. So my uh, one of my friends who just who lost a fantasy league last year finished dead last. Their bet was he, you had to spend twenty four hours in a waffle. And for house every waffle every, you eat, takes an hour off. Yeah. Yes. Yes, every waffle you eat takes an hour off. So he got there at noon and left at like nine or ten o'clock. He was there for ten hours. He ate twelve waffles. They counted for him. up. It was like over four thousand calories. <laughs> so um, it was uh, it was hilarious though to keep up with it. I will say, um, you know, where I'm at in the DC area, there's the closest waffle house is like an hour away or something like that. Um, which honestly is good because if there was one closer, I'd probably be morbidly obese because I, I just love it that much. Um, but yeah. that that like that punishment for the fantasy league, that's not a punishment for me. That's like a reward. Like I would, well, I would try. At one point, you know, they start tasting like tree bark, so true, it's like true. Uh, but it, it was a funny deal either way. That just have to spend that <laughs> yeah. much time there. I would need like an all star special to wash down the the tree bark waffles and the the sugar and yeah. syrup at, at some point. That's yeah, funny. Though. Sure. Um, I know you, I, I saw, I think it was on Instagram or Twitter. You got an old Ford Bronco. How cool is that? Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, we, uh, uh, got it at a Mecham auction before I think it was before the Iowa race. I want to say, um, we, uh, it, that was in Indianapolis. I actually saw Kate, Katie Osborne there. That's right. The yeah. Reporter for Fox. Um, cause she works with them also. So that was kind of cool. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a good deal. I mean, we had been looking at, you know, Broncos for a while and, um, you know, with the new ones coming out, I think it up the value of those older mm-hmm. ones a little bit and they just, um, but it's, it's really cool. We don't, I mean, I, I don't have it just to sit there. I mean, I've drove it around some good. too, like, and I, I don't, you know, buy, we don't buy cars like that just to sit there and look at them. You know, we buy them to drive. It's them not too, like so. your everyday car though, is it? No, Lord, no. I I, I drive an F-150, so I don't – yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> that would be crazy, yeah. though, just driving down the highway in your Bronco. That's uh, that's awesome. I love I love Broncos, yeah. though, especially the new ones that are coming out. Um, to have an old one, it's got to be pretty pretty sweet. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Last one for me, Brett. Uh, we've, you've mentioned it a couple times here. 
Um, but you do have aspirations of moving up to the national series for not only next year, but just in the future as well. And I wrote in my notes, is that realistic to do? But I don't even want to ask that anymore because you had plans to do it this year before COVID threw a wrench into everything. And it seems like from everything that you're saying, read in between the tea leaves here, that you got some stuff lined up next year to go truck racing. Yeah, I mean, we're still uh, over the next two months working on a lot of things to, to get to come together. And um, some of the things that we had been lacking compared to other teams, we've, we've got. And I mean, we'll have you know, news to release for that later on. And, um, it's really special though. Really cool for me to notice that people notice our, our success and like what we could do, um, without some of the things the other teams have. So, um, you know, like I said, a lot of it's relying on sponsorship right now. I mean, I don't, we don't definitely don't have the means to run a whole year yet in trucks. Um, but, uh, I, um, I definitely think we're capable of doing like a part partial schedule. And I just, uh, you know, like I said, over the next couple of months, we'll be working on that. But um, obviously that's my goal. You know, I, I've, I think I've proved myself kind of in the Arca series. I'd like to win a couple more races there and some tracks. I'd like redemption at where I definitely know I can win at, but yep. um, we're still going to be a part of that series in a way. And hopefully, hopefully we'll be a part of the other in another way as well. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll be working on that, but, um, that would be a huge feat for us and our team and really special for us to, to know that we've made it into the top three series of NASCAR. And, um, you know, and we did a lot different way than other people. I mean, I think we could have done that easily early on. We could have just said, Hey, let's go truck racing. But what is, what did you prove to get there? You know what I yeah. mean? Like you know, a lot of people do that and they haven't done, you didn't even hear about them, what they did before they got to the truck truck series. So it's just kind of. Um, you know, we had a standard set for ourselves before we do something like that. And I had a standard for, set for myself as a driver. So, um, I'm a, I think we've accomplished that and, and have the, the right to do, to move up and do that. And, um, hopefully everything works out so we can. Without giving away too much, if any, if everything goes according to plan, is it fair to say that we, we will hopefully be seeing you more in the truck series this year than we will in the Arca series next year? Um, I don't know. I mean, that that's part of that, you know, we'll, we'll have, we're, that's what we're kind of doing right now is like looking at schedules and seeing how things will line up. And we're also juggling a couple other different deals around and, yeah. you know, I don't have anything to really, uh, anything I can really say right now because nothing is done yet. And that we've got a few different options, um, not just for me to drive. So it, uh, we'll see how it works out. And, and, uh, we're a small team, like I said, so it's, it'd be hard for us to, juggle multiple teams but i think we're capable of doing that it'd be a lot of moving uh pieces to it yeah. and, and logistics wise be tough but um you know i don't know i mean i think uh i mean i, I personally you know I, I wanted to run you know if it were just left up to me you know i would run um you know some more of the uh, speedway races in arca and and run you know i don't i mean run a par partial deal in trucks and start that program for our team and um, but, uh, you know, in a perfect world, that's what I'd love to say we're doing, but I don't, you know, I don't really know yet. Gotcha. Unfortunately, the world's not perfect as we know, but, uh, your season this year in ARCA was, was pretty close to it. So Brett, thanks for your time, man. It, it was great to catch up and great to learn a little bit more about you, your story, your career, your team, the whole nine yards. Um, congratulations once again on the championship. Best of luck in the off season. Best of luck when and if you get to Vegas to hopefully right your wrongs that you did in Kansas in the casino and War Eagle. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate everything and, and for having me on War Eagle.
and we're back. Hope you enjoyed that conversation, guys. Uh, and again, I want to apologize actually for some audio issues that were happening throughout that because when I was recording, my recorder died like two or three separate times. It was the batteries were on their last leg, so so I ran them dead, and then I paused. Um, to put new batteries in, but I didn't even realize that the recorder died while I was talking. And then those batteries I put in happened to be dead. So then I was like, Brett, sit tight, ran downstairs, got some new double A's, put them in, good to go, full send. So thank you guys for bearing with me. But that's why we always record the Zoom audio. We always got to have a backup. Always prepare, folks. Kids, if you're listening, when preparation meets opportunity, that is luck my friends. Look nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Since it's the off season, we don't have a ton going on, but we still do have a good amount of things happening in the NASCAR world. The next gen car has been testing at Charlotte Motor Speedway this week. As of the dropping of this recording and this podcast, they have not tested on the oval yet, but once you're listening to it, they actually are either probably doing it as we speak or it is concluded, but on Monday, Kurt Busch and Martin Truex Jr. ran it around the road course. Both talked about the sequential gearbox being pretty interesting. Had a deeper, throaty sound to it from the clips that we saw on Twitter. So that should be interesting, and we'll see where NASCAR decides and who pilots the next-gen car moving forward at their specific tests. I assume there's going to be some super speedway testing with multiple cars as well as some other intermediate tracks, but we shall see. Little bit of a surprise with Silly Season news, John Hunter Nemechek announced that he's actually parting ways with Front Row Motorsports for 2021. I think it was kind of widely speculated that he and Michael McDowell were both going to be back with that team, but he said that he has other plans. He hopes to announce them soon. And from what I may be hearing, I mean, don't take it for fact, take it with a grain of salt, but it seems like he actually may be inclined to go down to Xfinity or even the truck series on a full-time basis. I don't know whether that's to prove himself there or whether or not his funding would be better suited there. We'll see, but would not be shocked to see John Hunter move down to come back up. Jeb Burton also was announced as the full-time driver of the 10 car at Colleg Racing, replacing Ross Chastain, Nutrient Ag Solutions as a full-time sponsor for them over there. And it was a pretty cool video, an emotional one at that, that they put out with Jeb and his dad Ward and It was a bit of a hidden camera, and Jeb was emotional. He was crying, so congrats to him. That was a cool moment. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion in Formula One. He's the GOAT. Don't tell me otherwise. I know we don't talk a lot of F1 here, but that is uh, definitely worth mentioning for sure. Won a crazy Turkish Grand Prix in Istanbul. Brett Moffitt is going to be piloting the Xfinity Series number 02 Hour Motorsports Chevrolet full-time next year, moving up from the Truck Series, leaving GMS Racing. Daniel Hemrick has gotten a ride at Joe Gibbs Racing, replacing Riley Herbst in the 18 car. He's going to be teammates with Harrison Burton, who also re-signed for 2021. Herbst is widely expected to go to the 98 at Stuart Haas Racing, replacing Chase Briscoe. There's a ton of silly season stuff going on in Xfinity and trucks, and I don't even think we're done with that yet. There's still some announcements yet to be made. And I wanted to bring up, I think I mentioned Chris Devoto a couple weeks back that her position is not being renewed at NBC Sports. She's been a a couple decade veteran in the sport and and honestly just an unreal broadcaster the gold standard and unfortunately another gut punch this week alan cavana of fox sports uh he announced on twitter that fox sports would not be bringing him back for next season and honestly it kind of just pissed me off like he's so good and so nice and you saw all the 
you know, people on Twitter are saying that it sucks because he's such a nice, genuine dude. But it's so true. Like, he, he really is. Um, I could text him at the drop of a hat with a question or some advice, and he would get right back to me. Look, man, it ain't easy for uh, an up-and-coming NASCAR-aspiring broadcaster or media member in these times, but talent always finds a way, right? And I'm sure that Alan and Krista will definitely find their way and, and hopefully go to greener pastures once this is all said and done. So, Alan, I hope I can get Alan on the show uh, sometime this offseason. Maybe I can. And I, I think he classically would say, well, I'm doing nothing else. Uh, but he still is going to co-host Positive Regression with David Smith. So, Alan, Krista, two of the best in the biz, and unfortunately NBC and Fox not thinking the same. Budget cuts, whatever it is, they are making some mistakes, and I hope that Alan and Krista have greener pastures moving forward. Wish them nothing but the best. That'll wrap things up for Episode 82 of Victory Lane 2.0. Thank you guys for listening, subscribing, rating, and reviewing, talking about it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, what have you telling your friends, telling your family. I do appreciate it, sincerely. That'll wrap things up for episode 82. As I mentioned, rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, wash those hands, stay inside, wear your mask, stay safe. Peace and love, my dude and dudettes. We'll catch you on the flip side for 83.